Seals are so played out. The Delta Boys are so played out. And look, for good reason. I'm not putting them down. I mean, come on. There's a reason why we all know about them. But I thought, you know, who's left? And the more research I was doing, the more people I talked to, like, who's the biggest badass that's not a SEAL or a Delta Boy? And it was like, finally someone said to me, what do you know about the Marine Raiders? I was like, you know, not much. So the more I looked into them, the more I thought, this is this is more Red's brew of coffee right here. Yeah, my character, Matthew Red. I just saw it instantly, man. It just clicked, and I kind of just ran with it. Yeah, because the, the Raiders, I mean, and there's been some um, variations of stuff. So one of my friends uh, was a came out of Naval Academy, FBI agent, but was a captain in the Marines. He was Force Recon. And there's this great picture of him. It used to be on his Twitter page. He's doing a he's doing a halo jump in white. There there it's wintertime, but he's doing a halo jump in white. You know, and it's like this. You know, that's some cool shit. But when I when I first started reading about Matthew Red, it, like you say, he almost it reminded me of what you would get if you kind of put together like a a, a Mitch Rap and a um, uh, um, Jack Reacher, you know, and a couple other folks. You know, somebody got some street smart as well as smart knows how to operate tactically. But I like the fact that you set it out in states that tend to be flyover countries. You know, I came from Kansas flyover country. Now um, I do have to ask one thing. Will, will uh, Matthew red ever work with uh, the Dutton ranch at Yellowstone to drive off the other people? Well, you know, what's interesting. <laughs> I, when I first wrote about Montana, I kind of think a lot of people I was talking to was like, no one cares about Montana. Like no one wants to read about that. And then like two years later, Yellowstone came out <laughs> and then 1820, uh, 1883 yeah, like, then 1923 yeah. i think they care about montana now you know and so so that was i won't lie to you that was another reason why john Talbot was like hey the timing's good let's get this thing out the door let's go shop it you know yellowstone's huge i don't think that hurt for sure um but you know red's got his own cattle ranch that he's uh he's worried about right now and in book two um he, he's facing uh the very real threat of losing it and i mean that is just one of put that farther down the list of, of, of problems he's got in book two, but well, we want to tie this back to our game of crimes theme. Cause it has to relate somehow to crime. So what happens is um, he's kind of, kind of tell a little bit too. Matthew is set up in the beginning um, team. Uh, something happens to his team, obviously. And then he's got the choice between getting court-martialed, you know, or taking a less than honorable discharge and getting out of the Marines, which kind of, that's the inciting and, you know, incident. That's what sets him on the path coming back to, Montana. So how did you come up with the, because uh, you, like you said, you originally talked about human trafficking. How did you come up with the idea though for Fields of Fire um, in terms of the uh, uh, manipulation of the, of, of the food supply? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I'll touch on it a little. I don't want to spoil it, but one day I was sitting around, I, I won't name names, but there was a billionaire who looks like a really nice dude. Uh, friendly face, round glasses, just looks super nice. But was making headlines because he's buying up all this farmland. And I just was sitting there one day going, why? Is that Ted Turner? Why are they buying up all this? Why are they buying up all this farmland? And, well, that's the Chinese, too. They've been doing a lot of that out there. Well, I couldn't let it go. And I just thought, okay, <clears throat> let's say that this nice-looking billionaire is actually not. Um, <clears throat> what might they be doing? And so in my fictional universe, there's a billionaire who comes from the tech world. His name is, uh, Anton Gage and he looks very nice. Um, but red realizes pretty quickly that the reason he came back home is, is his adopted father, a cattle rancher in Montana who took him in when he was a child, uh, Jim Bob Thompson, has been has been killed and red believes that but no one else does and the the thing about writing the book when you have a guy like red he's also big he's he's six foot three 265 and i did that because i'm a big believer that people like heavyweights i like mma <clears throat> i like boxing and i appreciate the art but i think there's a reason why a lot of like the biggest mma events are heavyweights because when big guys rumble there's knockouts and that's what people like so I thought I'm going to make him huge. And then, you know, that becomes a disadvantage when you're trying to blend in, you know, red doesn't blend in anywhere. And so he's, he's a door kicker, man. He's a former Marine Raider comes home. He's sort of lost all direction in his life. He wants to reconnect with his father, <clears throat> his adopted father, and the guy's dead. 
And what he's not is an investigator. And that frustrates him. He's used to being given a target package and hey, here you go. Go do your thing and he can do it. What he's not used to being the guy that has to put together all the intel. So he comes back to Montana. He doesn't think everything adds up and he starts looking into the death of his dad. And one thing sort of leads to another and he realizes that he was killed off and he doesn't know why yet, but he's determined to get to the bottom of it. And I'll just say that, you know, the fireworks kind of fly from there. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the stage. And the reason we want to talk about this too, is because what I liked about the concept and look, you're right. Human trafficking. Murph and I were talking about that. We've done stuff on human trafficking. We've had a guest on here, Natasha Hertzig. For those of you listening, episode 60. I mean, just a, a, a compelling story about that stuff. But what I like is when you get into some of these, uh, it's like Jack Carr. A couple of these things is like, so for six months, he worked his way across Siberia to hunt down one guy. You know, you, you want something that really kind of takes you out of the everyday, right? I, I don't read thrillers to read what I can read anywhere else. I read thrillers to read what I can't read anywhere else. Um, and But so dealing with manipulation of the green stuff, if people wonder where the real power is, it's in stuff like that. It's By the it way, really is. that was an episode. If you watch, if you ever watch The Americans, which is actually based upon um, – real stories about uh, some uh, what they call Russian illegals. But one of the episodes dealt with a modification of wheat germ and what the U U.S. was doing and how they were going to create stuff to wipe out the Russian food supply um, by genetically modifying stuff. And so people don't realize, but small stuff like that doesn't seem exciting. But man, you're talking about impacting populations, civilizations with stuff like that. If you control the food supply and the food chain, you, you control the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's especially the Murph because four o'clock hits. We're all done with this thing. He's got to go hit that blue plate special by four thirty, don't you? Do? Damn right. Hey, so it's a financial issue. I mean, that works out pretty well. I, uh, <laughs> I he's I'm just always, I'm always up for I'm always up for a good deal. I'm out of feed six kids, so. Um, but but I think when you look at it in its simplest of terms, I've always said a food shortage is like when your brakes start to go out on your car. And here's what I mean by that. You know when you like. Your blinker goes out. You're like, yeah, I should probably get that taken care of, but it's not like that'll be a problem for next week. Yeah, I know I need an oil change, but I don't feel like doing it today. Everyone puts things off. And I think when you look at the world, there's a lot of issues. A lot of people are smart enough to identify. we got a lot of issues, but it's like, eh. But the second you tap your brakes and they are not working, that's a today issue. Well, that's yeah. a no shit. That's a no shit moment. When you've just gone through the stop sign, you're either in Florida and one of Murph's neighbors, you know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so I think when you look at how do, how do Americans react? COVID's coming down and everyone, I mean, there's food shortages in the stores those first few weeks. And when everyone was storing and like, there was no toilet paper, which I still can't figure out. But um, I've been struggling with that one too. What symptom of COVID required you to hoard toilet paper? <laughs> It wouldn't matter if, 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 if you did, I would still trade all my toilet paper for your food. <laughs> I mean, it would, if that was the currency, cool. But, uh, I just, the more I thought about it, I thought, what would, what would you do with all that land? And, and also if you do Google, you know, who is the largest farmland owner in the United States, I think it will surprise people. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I – a lot of times these thrillers are rooted in real stuff. Uh, but Murph, I want to make a quick analogy to some of the stuff you and I were talking about. And this is the stuff Aaron Graham's been talking about. You talk about how we don't – we keep kicking the can down the road because there's nothing acute about it. And I keep thinking about all these things that are happening either with the cartels or uh, when we had that episode with John Norris, we talked about people don't realize the damage the cartels are doing from the GROW operation. You had to see that many times in DEA too where it's kind of like, you guys – you got to address this issue. You got to do this issue because if you don't, it becomes a much bigger issue. And when you're, uh, you know, at the fusion center and stuff like that, I, how many times have you seen it to where people ignore the issue? Cause it's not sexy enough. It doesn't have a hurt right now, but it blows up in our face, you know, a year later. It's amazing where we are now with counterfeit medications and fentanyl. And the fact that prior to COVID Javier and I were, were working with a lobby group out of California. We went on Capitol Hill twice. We addressed the American legislative exchange conference tried to bring awareness to counterfeit medications. And it was shocking how few people on Capitol Hill, on the House, on the Senate side, as well as our 50 state uh, legislative representatives had ever heard, had even heard of counterfeit medications. It's amazing how many came up to you and said, I've never even heard this issue. 
Well, it just tells you that nobody, their staffers haven't addressed what's really the problem at that time to bring it to their attention so that, you know, laws can be enacted and legislated to address the issue. And look at where we are now. We're having, what is it, 300 overdose deaths a day because of this crap. Yeah. Well, there's an old saying, too. It's easier to sell an aspirin than a vitamin. Why? Because I got a headache. If you tell me, you take this vitamin in six months, you'll be bulky. and I mean, you'll have bulk and you'll look good. I, I'm not going to wait for six months, but I got a headache. You know, I want to take that now. So anyway. Actually, I'm in the market for that. You know, if there's a pill that you take for six months and come out looking ripped, I'm just saying, um, <clears throat> hit me up because I'm in the market for that. Right. What I don't want is you have to work out for six months. If it's just swallowing a pill, I'm there, man. Everybody wants the thing. outcome without the effort. You can't get <laughs> yeah, one without yeah. the other. It's like writing a book. Well, just go write a book for me. No, you got to go through the pain. There's pain in writing a book. Well, let's talk about, because you talked about you get a lifetime, and you did. I mean, for you, your lifetime was shorter than mine or Sherry's. Sherry, by the way, TikTok, TikTok. Um, we're still waiting. I'm so, still but, talking to her here as we're talking. <laughs> she's going to be mad at me. Uh, but... How so? From the time that you got your first book, because we want to start talking about your second book now, because you also got a part of the deal was a novella. Yeah. So, um, but we want to talk about the second book. So, from the time you actually got the first book done, how what's the time difference between the first book now and the second book coming out? Wow. Well, so they were, <clears throat> yeah, they were completely different experiences. So that whole, that old concept of um, <clears throat> your whole life to write your first one, one year to write your second. So I. Turned in the first one on signing. Uh, they set the publication date for the following year. It just came out last September. And um, at the time, you can't start writing the next book till you're approved. You have to have an outline approved. So I didn't get my outline approved until, this was two years ago, but until like October, November. And it was due the next June. So that's not a year to write your second book. <clears throat> that's seven, eight months. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, not even. I mean, it was like by the time it's approved and then, you know, you're writing and you have to edit, you factor in time to edit. Um, and so I am when I write, I'm very visual. I can't just sit down and create. I have to spend time thinking about the scene in my head and then I can write it. So I like to I like to write at night because <clears throat> um, I can think about it all day, put the kids to bed sit down for a few hours and bang a chapter out. Now I, now I do write in the mornings more, but only after like a drive to Starbucks where I can really visualize and think about things and I come home and write it. Um, <clears throat> so I turned that thing in two months early. So I actually ended up writing it very quickly. And because of that, there's not a lot of time that passes between the two books, but essentially six months or so. Um, <clears throat> And, and I would say this, if you, if you don't read fields of fire and you pick up lethal range, which by the time people hear this, it's, it's, it's out now or coming out tomorrow, you can jump in with this one. Um, I tried really hard to make it so you, you could do that, but this, the, the stories are connected for sure. And I think if you want to understand the hero, if you want to understand Matthew red, read both books because he's on a journey. There's an arc for him. I can tell you, I haven't spoken about this publicly at all yet. So this will be like some kind of some breaking news for me. <clears throat> My third book, there's a title reveal in the last three words of book two. So when you read Lethal Range and you get to the final three words, that's the title of book three. And that's going to come out June 4th, 2024. <clears throat> I literally found that out like, like five minutes before I joined you guys. And you yep. heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Well, technically, you're hearing it well first because we're recording this a, a, about a little over a week before it's going to come out. So uh, we're going to shh, mum's the word. We won't say anything about it. But so let's let's talk about now. Let's talk about your new book now, uh, Lethal Range. Uh, Matthew Red continues on. Tell us about book two. Um, to the you know, without giving away obviously the ending and stuff, but tell us about book two. What's what's the synopsis? What's the log line for that? So. This one kind of picks up on the heels of Fields of Fire. Red is a little bit older, a little bit more settled down. <clears throat> He's no longer identifying just as a former Marine. He's starting to see himself a little bit more now as a husband, a father. He's got a kid that he needs to protect. And, and that really heightens things for him. You know, when you're by yourself and you're the lone wolf and you're in danger, it's just you. But now the enemies that he made in book one bring a war right to his front door in book two. And this time around, he doesn't just have one enemy and one issue. It's everyone he pisses off in book one. 
the people behind the events of book one are sending people after him now. And as enemies close in around him, Red realizes he's got nowhere to, nowhere to run and finds himself once again fighting a battle that he really cannot afford to lose, but can't possibly win on his own. There you go, folks. That's why you got to read. You got to read book one. Field so far, you got to pick up that one so you can read book two, Lethal Range. Um, hey, you know, I, I mentioned this to Ryan before we started recording uh, just a little bit ago. I looked on Amazon and, you know, you get the first few chapters free. The intro was enough to hook me. I mean, it's that's what you want. You want the attention grabber at the very beginning. That's a, a fantastic attention grabber. Uh, I had never heard of your books until Morgan told me about you, and I'm, I'm going to be a new fan. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Well, there's something else you said too, Murph, uh, I, I think before we started recording about your book, Manhunters, and what Ryan was talking about. What do you guys have in common? Um, well, I don't know, because his are successful and ours, so, so I don't know. <laughs> no, actually, uh, our publisher, St. Martin's Press, was able to get some uh, famous writers to endorse our book, and one was Brad Thor. It's right on the cover of our paperback, a gripping insider account of the hunt for Pablo Escobar, brilliant, bold, and no holds barred. This is an impeccable true crime story. So thank you, Brad Thor. Yeah, and so that's a good big one, man. I don't, I don't even have a, a blurb for my books from Brad. He's, you know, he's endorsed me as a book spy and stuff like that. But that's a big one. Wow! I, now I'm impressed. I know. You got me beat. <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah, but you got an endorsement though from Jack Carr, though. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't sell yourself short, man. You're getting the good stuff. So yeah, I think you're doing quite a bit better. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it. It's uh, no, I've been really lucky, man. Uh, a lot of people that. Um, I didn't want anyone to, to give me a blurb or endorse it because we were friends. So I really sent the books out. I wanted people to read it and I had to sweat it, you know, just like any other author. And I will say it's a lot easier being a book spy and doing the reviewing than it is sending your book out and being vulnerable and waiting. And I think everyone, because we're friendly, like somehow took advantage of the situation. So I won't name names, but like I would send out my book feels a fire. And I'd, and I'd be like, Hey, you know, if you like it, would you mind sending me a blurb? And I'd get back like, Hey buddy, just finished the book. Here's a blurb. Uh, Ryan Stack's fields of fire is pretty. Okay. Not great. Semi-decent. Don't buy it. Get it from the library. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like they, and then like two seconds later, I'd get like another email to be like, ha 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 ha. It's kidding pal. Great job. Love the book. Here's the real blurb. And everyone did that to me. And you would think that like you, at a certain point, you would think you're ready for that. But no, I'm probably the only person that really understood why Charlie Brown kept going to kick that football and uh, doesn't think Lucy will pull it back again. Because it kept happening. I just like, it just, it was nonstop. They all gave me a hard time. So, uh, well, that means they like you. That means they like you. Well, it was my hazing as a debut author with Latin. Now, this year, nobody did that. Uh, we just got a lot of support. Um, Don Winslow just blurbed it. TJ Newman, James Rollins, uh, Larry Loftus. And it's out with some other real heavy hitters. And um, thankfully, no one's like, you know, tried to pull one over on me just yet. So I think my heart rate, blood pressure really appreciate that. But I'm getting excited to uh, see what readers think. Well, let me tell you, the way they're going to set you up is they're going to send you a, a blurb that says, OK, here's the blurb. And it's going to be glowing and reviewing. And then they're going to come back with a second email that says, no, just kidding. This book sucked. I hated it. This is the one you <laughs> I need. used the first one. I would just pretend I didn't see the second email. So oh, what second I email. Yeah. What, a, what email? Hey, now, the other thing, too, you have a novella coming out. So uh, for those folks who aren't in the know, by the way, believe it or not, Stephen King, you think for as big a book as he writes that he would, he's written some novellas. Like I think Heart in Atlantis was one of them that was turned into movies and stuff. So what's a novella and what's yours, what's yours going to be on? So a novella is like usually one of two things. Um, you're going, you're going through part of it right now. If a book is bloated and you got to cut some out, <clears throat> an author might go, Hey, let's just put this out as a novella. I really like these words. I like these chapters. The other one, and this is more me, it's uh, an author who has a good idea, but is too afraid to commit to a full length book on it. Um, that's as honest as I can be. Okay. So I don't think my publisher would love that description, but it's true. I, a big part of my books is a theme of family. Um, Cause it's what I know. And I think if you read that, you'll see that arc with, with Matthew Red. So I found it ironic that in Fields of Fire, I was hearing from people all the time, hey, my favorite character is Jim Bob Thompson. Well, he's dead. You never really see him. He's the reason Red comes back to Montana. So I obviously wanted his presence to loom large in the book, and I'm, I'm thankful that was the takeaway maybe. 
But I thought, man, I really would love to show this guy live, you know? And I also would love to show him interacting with Matthew Red. So I thought about writing a flashback story. And then one day it kind of hit me that, you know what's the most interesting story? How does he become Matthew Red? How does he become the hardened, battle-tested warrior that you see in Fields of Fire? He went off to boot camp as an 18-year-old kid like anybody else. What happens to really forge you into the weapon that badass that you are later. And I wanted to explore that. I had an idea and I thought, okay, it's a prequel, but I don't want to write a whole prequel novel this early in my career. I don't want to have two books and then go back to the, you know, that felt weird. So I thought, all right. That's like having two music albums out and doing greatest hits, you know, right after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I need to. Yeah. So I was like, all right, you know what? Well, let me do a novella because this was a really serious subject to me. Um, my dad was in Vietnam and, and, um, a big supporter of, of law enforcement and our troops. And they're the real heroes guys. You know, you know that. And, and I thought I really, Tom Cruise said that Top Gun Maverick was a love letter to aviation. I wanted to write a love letter to the troops, but I knew that this was going to be heavy. I knew it was going to be raw and there was only one way to do it. And it's not necessarily what I would consider like entertaining, like a popcorn flick. This is a raw look at, what an 18 year old kid goes through when he decides I'm going to be a Marine and then faces live combat experiences death on the battlefield experiences what it's like to take the life of another man. I wanted to really put all that in there. And so it's, um, it's called red Christmas. So my, my hero's name is Matthew red R E D D. So it's called red R E D D Christmas. It comes out this November. It'll be an ebook exclusive. Um, so you can watch for that. They're, they're in cover. They're in cover production right now. I'm supposed to see some mock-ups pretty soon, and I'm getting excited. It was the hardest thing I've ever written. So it's a prequel to Fields of Fire. It's about 30,000 words, which that's actually a big novella. I mean, that's a third of a novel. So you, it's really, you get your money's worth. But it's a raw inside look. And, and I leaned heavily on friends and contacts that had served because I wanted to get this right. You know, I wanted, I wanted to show the real vulnerable side of a soldier it's not all Uran high fives when you're in war, you know, these, these kids get scared and, and they don't know what's next and they're human. And I wanted to show that. And I wanted to, you know, write a love letter to, uh, to our brave men and women who, who save, save the day and answer, answer every call. And, and they protect us so that I can go write books, you know? And so that's, that's what red Christmas is. It, it will further expand on why red is the way he is and, and why he is who he is. But it, it does, uh, it stands on its own. You can, you can read it whether you read any of the books or not. Um, and uh, the title is for a very specific reason. You won't know till you read it. But um, I promise if you check it out, the title will make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, it's very notable that you took the effort to, to show the realism of that because those are our heroes. They are my heroes, man. I really mean that. You know, I was calling author friends uh, who had served. <clears throat> and I don't want to give anything away, but I was like, Hey, I want to get this right. You know, do, do men cry after like war, like your first time. And I, so one of my buddies, Joshua hood, who's an author. Um, and I worked with them before and, and, and I are really good friends. I remember, you know, he was 82nd airborne. And he said to me, I remember my first time going into battle. I was like, what's going to happen. My heart was beating so fast. I was like, am I going to have a heart attack? Am I going to pass out? You know, am I even going to make it? And then the doors open and you jump out <coughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, you just, you just start reacting. Yeah, the time for thinking is over. It's know, time to start training doing. kicks in and you find out what you're made of. And, uh, I thought, so you think this is like real and authentic. He goes, yeah, dude, watch the opening to saving private Ryan. Look how scared those guys were. All of those 18 and 19 year olds that are, yes, uh, uh, Normandy. And, and, and uh, that's what, that's what red is. He's an 18 year old kid. He's a Marine. And boot camp is one thing, live, live rounds with on, on no notice at all. Hey, someone's pinned, we're going to pull them out. And that's sort of the, the jumping off point that, that gets his unit uh, mobilized. But it, it, it gets real quick. And it was, it was very heavy to write. Writing is normally really enjoyable for me. Um, I, I struggled. I wanted to get it right. And it was so overwhelming at times when I was writing it that I would literally stop. And I just felt like I was going to weep, you know, because the more you talk to people, um, people have been there, people have been in these situations. 
more you talk to people who, who loved ones that never came back from these situations, I just felt this overwhelming desire that like, okay, if you're going to do this, you better do it and you better do it right. And I felt the pressure of that. And I took that, I took it really serious. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever written. When I turned that in, I told my publisher, I'm going on vacation. I need to, I need to, I need to relax after that one. Cause it took a lot out of me. And, uh, but I, but I'm really proud. I would say out of everything I've ever written, I'm probably most proud of that. Excellent. Hey, I, I've got a question. So you talk about Matthew Red, and, and I did a little research on you here. And can you tell us where Matthew Red came from? Yes. I know what happened. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, all right. So I was a 10th grade student in high school, and I was not what you would call the overachiever in school. I was like the jock class clown. I was king of hearts two years in a row, but I had to take like algebra one, eight times. You know what I mean? Like my priorities were not where they needed to be in high school. And so we had this, uh, I took a creative writing class and we had an intern. She was so pretty and young and we were all distracted and all the guy, we just loved her, but she ended up being like so sweet. Her name is Shay Vanderstelt Wentz. And to this day, uh, I love her to death proud to call her a friend. But back then she came in and like, no one would work. And finally one day she was like, all right, we're going to do this writing assignment. You can write anything you want. You can swear violence. I don't care. Just go home, write it and bring it back. So I just remember when you're like, you're 15 and you just got the green light to swear and write violence. I was like, man, I'm all in. That's probably the, like the one assignment I ever took serious. I went home and all my friends are just writing, you know, like all this BS nonsense. And I'm like, hey, well, just leave me alone. I'm trying to really focus. And I didn't know it then, but I was doing all the stuff I do now as, as, a, as a paid author is trying to set a scene, trying to develop character. So I, I, I wrote this short story about a high schooler named Matthew Red, who was basically a vigilante who has to protect his school. What I did not know was it was a peer-to-peer thing. So the next day in class, it was like a Monday, we come back, and they exchange short stories, and people got to read them out loud. And I swear, I can remember the poor kid that had to read mine. His name was Trenton. And Trenton got mine, and I remember he read like two sentences and was like looking at the teacher like, should I keep going? And, and, I, and she was like, yeah, keep reading it. And he was like, shaking a little bit, reading it. Like I shouldn't be saying all these words. I shouldn't be doing this. And I was like, crushed it. Like I really nailed this story. I loved it. Next day I get called down to the office and the principal, vice principal, superintendent, and my parents are all sitting there. I was in trouble. <laughs> Along lot, with okay? law enforcement, mental health <laughs> professionals and, yeah, I, and I DOD. Had been, I had been suspended enough that one of my teachers said, dang it, Steck, you ought to just get suspended for life tattooed on your chest. And, um, so it wasn't new to me to be in trouble, but I never had an, a party like that waiting for me. You know, I'm like, dang, if they got my mom out of work, I'm, this is bad. So I came in and I have old school parents that are like, you get in trouble at school. You're in trouble at home. Oh yeah. So I'm like, I don't even know what happened yet, but my life's going to suck for a minimum, like six months. So we sit down and they pull out my short story and I'm like, oh crap, here it comes. And I just kind of blacked out. They went over all the safety concerns and you can't talk like this. You can't write this. And my mom, sweet little Christian woman sat there and listened. And in the end it was like, so what was the assignment actually? And when they were like, they explained it, she goes, so he did the assignment. And I was Good like, for her, get him, mom, get Good him. You know? and, and my dad really <laughs> backed her and they were like, well, yeah, but he went way overboard. And she was like, but the teacher should be held accountable too, because he did what was assigned. So it was the one time I got suspended from school for a week. It was the one time they let me treat that like a vacation. I was at home playing video games and snacking. I was like, this is great. Well, here's the real kicker to the story. I, I, you get married, have kids, you have a new perspective on life. And when I started to really think I might write a book, I thought, you know, who's the main character? And I thought, you know, this, this kid, Maddie Red, who's been with me for a long time. I think I might explore that. And I started thinking, what would he look like older? What would he look like, not as a high school vigilante, but as a fully fleshed out man? And it just instantly hit me. I mean, it was just, it came to me like a fully fleshed out character, like a real person. And he's so real to me that I'll be in situations and I'll, I'll think, I can hear him in my head. Like, I'll know how I have to respond 
But I hear how he would respond, and I want to respond. I might respond that way if I was 6'3", 265, a muscle, and, you know, trained to kill. But I can't get away with that, so I don't do it. You know, <laughs> I hear it in my head, though, and I can't turn it off. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finally write and tell his story. The, my favorite part of, of, of this is the ending. My kids are now growing up, and I got a kid in high school, and his principal is my old principal. <laughs> so I got to see him and shake the hand and, you know, Hey, you know, I'm glad to see you make it. I was like, Hey, jokes on you, buddy. Cause I got, thanks to Matthew red. I got a week off school and a book deal out of it. So it all worked out in the end. <laughs> and actually, no, the truth is he's like the best guy. His name's Don Eastman. Um, and he's such a good principal and he loves his students. And, and he, he did read fields of fire and that means a lot to me, but, um, that so, so you can imagine, you know, I, I take those things seriously. My kids all, you know, creative writing and stuff like that. And my wife is, you know, always like, Oh, they went overboard. I'm like, no, they, you don't know that. You mean, we can make someday that might be made into a movie and we'll be able to retire. Like, trust me, I've seen it, you know? So, <laughs> so, so let the kids do their thing. Let them write, let them create, let them express, you, you know, know, you hit upon something. I remember too, and it makes it made a big impression later, but it's like, when you're starting, it's like, you got to stay within the lines. You got to color. You can't do this. It's like kids were never taught to take risks. You know, you never, if you want great writers and great artists and great thinkers mm -hmm. and great doers, you got to let them push boundaries. And that's what I liked about it. You were pushing boundaries. I think hey, you speak, have to. Yeah. Let's speak about pushing boundaries because you're doing, like you say, something unique that a lot of other people aren't doing. Uh, Twitch and uh, other ways of reaching out to people. Uh, and you're a big gamer too. Well, yes. I mean, one game. I play, I play Call of Duty. That's it. Yeah. So my agent, John Talbot, <clears throat> has oh, well, a Hold on a second. We got a Murph. Murph's got a Call of Duty story. I do? Well, no. Oh, no, no. That was different. That was, uh, uh, Todd was Halo, right? I'm not, I'm not I'm sorry. picking up on the story here. Well, I'm, I just spaced out his name. Sorry. At, at SOD, when you guys were playing video games. Um, oh, yeah, you know, Aaron. Aaron, I'm sorry. Aaron. Yeah, not Todd. Aaron, Aaron yeah. Turner. Yeah, yeah, we were so... Um, <laughs> like us, Ron. So they put me in charge of training for special operations division with DEA, and and we were teaching police officers how to do wiretaps on phones. But we were also developing the new uh, how to do, how to do intercepts on uh, email accounts, IP addresses, so forth. And so we brought in two young guys from Microsoft out of Redmond, Washington. And these two guys are just they're one of them, Aaron Turner, still one of my best friends. We're still in contact all the time. In fact, he's moving to Orlando soon. And uh, so one day they show up with an Xbox and they said, "We're going to donate this to the Special Operations Training Division." Well, we you know we had this nice big training room and we had the big screen TVs up, the, the huge screen up front, the big screens on the sides, and we could divide the screen into four. And so it was me and another DE agent playing against Aaron and, and his partner. And, you know, we're, we're probably twice their age. They're in their young 20s, and, and we're in our late 30s, early 40s. I couldn't even make a move without getting sniped. <laughs> I mean, I, couldn't, I could not score one single point. So then, you know, and, and that was a big joke. And, and, uh, and, so, <laughs> and so two of my senior instructors who were retired agents had children that were teenagers. And they said, would you mind if we bring our two sons in here, take you guys on in, in, in uh, Halo? You know what? Those two 15-year-olds kicked the ass on the boys from Microsoft. It was vice you know, it was just flipped on them. They couldn't get a single shot off on these kids. It's amazing. It's unfortunate because they also talk the best trash. Um, so I do I play Call of Duty on Twitch <clears throat> with my real life best friend, uh, Mikey Durhammer, who's Matthew Red's best friend and introduced in book two. And that's cool because people get to see my dynamic with Mikey, and then they'll get to see Red's in the book. But we play and I get cursed out by more 13 to 15 year olds than I ever <laughs> dreamed I would. And um, I I'll tell you, man, you know, with the book spy, the numbers have always been so strong, but I've always wanted to reach younger readers. I think our industry needs it badly. We need to get the younger generation reading. And my agent represents this guy named Tulam, who is uh, an author and an influencer. And let me look him up. He he's really a badass but he's a character in call of duty um war zone so it's like a battle royale and so we started talking about it one day and it was like you know that's twitch you know i'm like that thing where people watch you play video games like nah i've done that my cousins would never let me play growing up i had to sit and watch them it was boring like i i would never pay to do that and they were like it's a billion dollar a year industry and i was like with the, like b as in bob like that's wow really and I realize it's more than that. It's like part reality TV. <clears throat> and 
The truth is, when I was looking for an avenue to break out as an author, I don't want to just cover my own books on the book spy, and I needed something that would help readers get to know me, me, the author, not me, the book spy, not me, the editor, me as a person, as a writer. And so my oldest daughter um, is, she's an adult now, and she streams, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get into this too. Now, at the time, I didn't know it was expensive. Um... My wife really freaked out because it turns out it's like it's not cheap to like build the PCs and stuff that you need. And I had to do it all the times, too, so she could do it. But um, I, oh, I built- she's complaining about the cost. Dude. Yeah. Well, OK, well, if you're going to do it, you got to include me, too. Yeah, it was well, it was not cheap, but it also was a tax write off. So I just want to point that out. But um, so we were all in and. Um, it's been really fun to get on and, and, and let people get to know me and play games and talk to other people and engage in an audience that wouldn't normally read. Now, I bring authors on there, and when we have Jack Carr come on, we got 50,000 views on that, and they didn't know who he was. You know, that's awesome. Jack Carr doesn't, everyone knows who he is now. These, these 20-year-old kids are very young. They're impulsive. You, you put a buy now button in front of them, they just click it, you know? Um, and so it was, it was, it's a lot of fun to show them stuff that they don't know that they're interested in. And I've gotten a kick for a long time out of helping readers find good books. That's why I'm a book spy. So this is right up my alley, man. You know, I get to engage with a new audience and tell me, you should check this book out. And then they do. And they come back like, Oh my gosh, I loved it. Is there anything else like this? And I'm like, yes, you know, there is other books like this. So I'm getting to see that happen in real time again. and, And I love that, but I will tell you one embarrassing thing. So in call of duty war zone, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be good. Um, it just so happens that, uh, me and me and Mikey, my BFF who lives like 70 steps across the road, his house looks at mine. Uh, so we're neighbors too. And it just turns out that we're like both in like the top zero, zero, one percent of players. <clears throat> so we're both good. I snipe. <clears throat> That's my thing. Um, I'm a really good sniper in that game. So we have Jack Carr come on the Twitch and Twitch channel and he's talking and he goes, yeah, well, you know, I was a sniper in the SEAL teams and I go, oh, hey, me too. That's what I do. I snipe too. And he's like, you mean in the video game? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, that's the same. That's the same. And I was like, <laughs> instantly felt like the world's biggest idiot. I'm a SEAL too. I'm a SEAL too. I was like, dang, Ryan, that was one that needed to stay inside. Um, I could not, believe, but he was a good sport. So he laughed, but I was, oh, I was so embarrassed that I said that. Hey, are you familiar with the character Mara? Oh yeah, Alex Zedra. I know Alex. Yeah, we we got to meet her at the Shot Show this year out in Las Vegas. I, I didn't even I didn't really know what a social media influencer was till I met yeah, her. I know her. She is great, and I've got a huge like signed picture from her that says "Good luck with Fields of Fire" on my wall. Nice, right? What a, what a, a very nice young lady to talk to. She is. I, uh, she's hosted tournaments that I played in and won with Mikey. So yeah, I know she's great, man. She's awesome. Fantastic. Well, enough about this stuff. I want you to talk about this next rising star of the stellar career um, and how, what of an impact he's going to make on the world when my book eventually gets released. So, uh, <laughs> who was, who was that talk? Did you hear somebody talking, Ryan? Who was that? I mean, you got you got some work to do with the scissors still. Uh, you're still in the cutting phase, but you're getting there. I'm I'm in the Freddy Krueger phase. Not gonna say it's just slash and burn, but uh, scissor hands. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no. Hey, but uh, so let let's so you've you've got a variety of platforms. So if people are looking for you, where can they find you? So the easiest place is um, therealbooksby.com. You can go to ryansteck.com. <clears throat> um, I'm on, I don't even know what Twitter's called anymore, but whatever Twitter it's, was, I think it's called X now. X, well, according to the new style guides that they just put out, it's X, the, the, the platform formerly known as Twitter, or the former platform Twitter now known as X. They're, they've come up with now style guides in terms of how to refer to it. Okay, so I am on X, the platform previously known as Twitter, <clears throat> at Ryan Steck Author, at The Real Books by. I'm on Instagram at The Real Books by, at Ryan Steck Author. Find me on Facebook at The Real Books by. I'm, I'm kind of everywhere. I think I even saw you on LinkedIn, didn't I? I'm probably on that too. Yeah. Believe if you can't find him, you're not trying hard enough. And your Twitch channel. Give us your Twitch channel again. Twitch is at twitch.com forward slash Ryan underscore Steck. I'm also on Publishers Marketplace if anyone you're in fiction and you're looking for an editor or someone to talk to for help. Um, I'm on that as well. I'm like, I'm everywhere. Nice. Man, 
And um, so the as this is coming out, um, we talked about uh, just give us the, your last blurb too for uh, Lethal Range. So Lethal Range comes out when? Where can they find it? Give us an idea. It comes out August eighth, and um, it's available in hardcover, uh, ebook, audiobook, trade paperback at launch. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, pretty much anywhere books are sold. I think you did an. Did you do an audiobook for that one? Uh, yeah, yep. There's audiobooks for Fields of Fire and for Lethal Range. And did you do the reading? Or who did the reading? Oh, I don't do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh no, no. I am not that cool. Um, no, they hired a professional for that for sure. Cool. Well, see, that's what that's what can happen. And so you've got you've got now you've got two books out or a second book coming out, a novella coming out. Um, is there a potential? Is there an opportunity because of all the connections you have? Is there an opportunity we may see a series about uh, Matthew Red? On the on the big screen, the media somewhere yeah. else. So I mean, so in Hollywood, I'm with uh, WME. Um, it's no secret I wrote this role pretty much specifically for Jason Momoa, and we've had some good dialogue with some of his people. Then the writer strikes happen, and now the actors are striking. So I don't know when that will pick up or not. But I, I mean, I remain really hopeful. I would love to see it one day. Um, uh, some people said movie. I personally like the streaming idea. You know, where you get 10 episodes for each book. I really like that, but I would be open to either for sure. And and uh, that would be a dream come true. So I hope so. Of course, Jason Momoa, he's just eye candy. That's a, You're just trying to draw in the women. I mean, come on, be transparent. Well, who tells you what movie to go watch? Your wife. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I... <laughs> You want to know, I'll tell you a really funny story. Okay. This is quick, but it's hilarious. So Jason was in game of Thrones and he plays Drogo. So he's got like a lot of mascara on and he's, dude, he's terrifying looking. And I remember there's like a scene where he's spooning with Khaleesi. And I, I just said out loud for no reason at all. So embarrassing. I said, man, I can't imagine like being a woman and, and, and looking back and seeing that in the morning, I'd be terrified. And my wife without missing a beat goes, not me. <laughs> I was like, dang, okay, I didn't know. All right. And well, so if I already. look back in the morning and I saw that personally, I'd be terrified. Either that or I'm in prison. I don't know which one. So. I'm telling you, man, he's, he's, he can look menacing, but um, he's also got so much range. And I'm a big fan of his. And a lot of people say to me, how much of you is, is Matthew Red? And I say, you know, my wife probably wishes I look like Maddie Red. Um, but no, I, like, I, like I said earlier, he, he's me if I was six, three and a half and look like he does. Yeah. Well, nice. can, can people go somewhere and get autographed copies of your books? Yes. <clears throat> um, so if you go to Baker book house, they're here, they're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, pretty close to me. Any book you buy from them just go online Baker book house. And if it's one of my books and you buy it, it will come to you signed by me. They does. They might not say it on their website, but I sign every single thing going out their door. And you can even call them, by the way, you can look them up, call them. If you want one personalized, you can tell me, I want to buy a book from Ryan Steck, but I wanted to say this. They'll write it down and I'll, I'll run up there and sign it and they'll get it out and they ship like worldwide. There you go. <laughs> All right. So remember folks. Uh, go to go to therealbookspy.com. It, it got all of his stuff on there too. Uh, make sure first of all you read. You got to pick up Fields of Fire if you want to make Lethal Range really work. You can now get Lethal Range, but I encourage you guys to get Fields of Fire because I own that one and I will own uh, Lethal Range when it comes out. And you got to read this stuff. And and, and uh, guys, thanks for allowing us to take this too because this is kind of a point of personal privilege, as they say, you know, in Congress and stuff. I, I told Murph, I said, hey, look, I know Ryan, he's working with me um, on my book, but I wanted to talk about this. And so we kind of went off a little bit, but but it's all tied into crime. It's all tied into our, our theme around Game of Crimes. And the thing is, too, is that a lot of these thrillers that you help the guys write and the ladies write, like a Sherry, and get this stuff out there, These a lot of these books also portray law enforcement, military in the real life. It's not, it's not an easy job. It's a tough thing what they go through. And a book allows you to, like you say, build that story out in a movie. You got two hours, you know, maybe a hundred minutes, hundred, whatever you got a certain amount of time, but a book, you can really get immersed in the book. You can really tell the story. That's what Boyd Holbrook said about the series in a series. You can actually draw it out over time and get really in depth. And so that's what I love what you're doing for this genre. Um, one of our buddies, like I said, Patrick O'Donnell's been working with people who want to write crime novels and stuff. So if you're listening out there, Patrick O'Donnell, uh, and you've got folks out there, you should really uh, send them over to the therealbookspy.com and ryansteck.com and find out what's going on. Absolutely. 
It's been an honor to have you on here, Ryan. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we had the opportunity to meet and uh, keep up the great work. I love the fact that you're helping Sherry. I uh, love her like a sister, and and uh, I've already told her what minute to look for in the episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I mean, I love her. Thank you, though, for having me on, guys. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, Sherry, TikTok, TikTok. Okay. <laughs> I sent her that message, too. She sent me back the finger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I got that. I get the finger all the time. All right. So, hey, well, guys, Ryan, again, it's a, it's for me personally, too, it's great to work with you because I've learned a lot and uh, I'm, I'm close. We're going to get this first one done and I will get this second one out the door. And uh, one of these days, you'll be interviewing me on your podcast about my New York Times number one bestselling that has been turned into a, by the way, that, you know, I remember what you said about WME and uh, that conversation yep. you and I had. So I, I'm incentivized. So say no more. Say no more. We won't say any more. So you guys don't go anywhere. Hold on for a minute. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. I, I tell you, the one thing that impresses me about Ryan where does he get his damn energy? Man, youth is wasted on. I'm sitting here going, he's right. I mean, he's got six kids, and he, I follow him. We're friends on Facebook. You know, we follow each other. And watching his activities, he does with his kids what he does with his wife. He's you know maintains a good, healthy family life, but he's he's slowed mm-hmm. down a little bit. But the dude has got so much energy. He's on Twitch. He's on Twitter. He's doing this. He's doing that. I mean, you know, moving targets harder to hit, man. But he <laughs> is just all over the place. His and plus, it's 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 contagious. As we were talking to him, I mean, you feel yourself start to get amped up, and I'm sure you folks did too, listening to him on on the interview just now. But um, man, it, I mean, he's had a very successful career, which I'd never heard of. He's a he's a um, a media influencer on Amazon. Yeah, is he is. Yeah, and and the New York Times and other people. I mean, they basically referred to him, man. This is the dude. If you want to know about thrillers, this is the guy. People have come. I mean, all the big names. When you look at Jack Carr, uh, so Jack Carr now has written his you know series of six books. Now the first one um, was turned into an Amazon. You know the the, the uh, Terminalist. So that was turned into an Amazon series. That was his first book. You read all the acknowledgments. Not only did he work with him on that, but Jack Carr in every book acknowledges. Ryan Steck and what he's done for the thriller genre. And Ryan has been behind a lot of books that have made it to TV. Yeah, and I just found the official term. He's been named an online influencer by Amazon, and he's a regular columnist at Crime Read. So, you know, there, he's got a, a, a solid background. And I was thinking about his, uh, you know, that his character it was a Marine Raider, Marsoc guy. We happen to know one of those guys, a guy named Cody Cody Alfred. So if, if you don't Cody, know who Cody is— and we met Cody at the Southern California Game Conference. We did. And, and Cody I, I, has got more tats than I have seen <laughs> on any one human being. <laughs> well, I'm watching the, I follow him on Instagram. We kind of got to know him when we were out in San Diego. And uh, he's working out with his son. He's over in Germany right now. And he's he's working out. He's doing push-ups with his son sitting on his back. And his son looks like he's probably 10, 12 years old. I mean, the guy's a stud. But if that's if that's something that you guys will be interested in hearing, let us know and we'll reach out to Cody and get him on the show. He's a, he's a very very personable guy, but you need to read about him. Oh, because he I is, think he has the most confirmed sniper kills of anybody in the Marine Corps. Yeah, and uh, if we need to, we'll get John Bernthal to send him another finger selfie. Say, get your ass on our podcast. <laughs> oh, I got a picture of Cody. We're good. We're good. I mean, we're bros. We've been friends now for a good three, four weeks. Yeah, that's right, man. You know, we we, we bonded uh, over uh, beers and uh, well, not you, but us. So anyway, yeah. But hey, ho- but hey, guys, we hope you like that. And thanks for kind of taking a divergent path. This was a uh, this was kind of a. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of stuff for me and I wanted to do him a solid, but you got to go, you got, I mean, go to his site, um, go to Amazon, make sure you get lethal range, um, the latest Matthew read, uh, thriller download it, you know, support these folks that are, are trying to keep us reading books. see, that's the other thing more for me. It's about reading books. Our guest that is coming up, we've got her book and I gave away a little, mm-hmm. I'm only going to give away a little bit her book. Yeah. But, you know, re- these, these things, the, the difference between this and a movie, a movie is like two hours. With a book, like Ryan said, you can get into the characters. You can dig in. You can have fun with the plot. You can, I mean, it's taking you to a whole nother world. Think about this. Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, all of those things started off as novels. Mm-hmm. And look at them now. And that's why that's why Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, and uh, Game of Thrones, you couldn't do those movies in 90 minutes. And that's why Game of Thrones was a huge series, you know, over time. Um, it was a song of fire and ice, George R.R. R. Martin, um, and then uh, J.R. Tolkien, you know. 
you do that stuff. So, I mean, I, I just love this too, because I think we've, we've got to get back to doing more reading, expand the mind, um, mm-hmm. and not just watching 30 second clips on TikTok, which I don't watch anyway, or, you know, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Just uh, read and expand, you know, <clears throat> I, I never thought I'd say this, but I actually love reading and, and here in the two years we've had Game of Crimes going, I think I've read, I know I read more in the last two years than I did all, all 80 years I was in college. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, Murph, because I thought third grade was the hardest eight years in your life, but apparently it was college. <laughs> I was on the 12-year plan. I was on the 12-year, yeah. Hey, well, guys, well, hey, look, we hope you enjoyed that um, episode. And again, thanks for doing us solid. But whatever you do, we'll put all the ways you can find um, Ryan Steck in the uh, in the show notes and everything. But make, just go to Amazon, type in Lethal Range. Download it, buy it, whatever you do, got to support these authors. So we hope you enjoyed that. If you also enjoyed it, head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. It's magic. We don't know how it works, but it does. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. We'll put his books up there, uh, Fields of Fire, his first one, and then Lethal Range, his second one. His novella will come out. We'll add that when it comes out. Uh, we'll be updating it as we go along. Follow us on that thing called social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, head on over to Game of Crimes fans, Sandy Salvato ruling with a velvet glove, over an iron fist, we'll uh, admit you into the inner sanctum. We'll have fun there. And then, but Murph, patreon.com slash game of crimes. q and coming up, buddy. We got some good stuff already. Rapid fire, Rick Jacobson. Um, I got, I did, I helped him with something. I'll tell you about it on, on the Q&A. Cool. That's, uh, that's my favorite thing we do on Patreon is a Q&A because it comes directly from our supporters. Yep. From our players, our players, our patrons. All right. So, hey, guys, we want to thank you guys. Thanks for doing that. Head on over, like I said, hit those five stars. Tell us what you think about the episode. And thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous, and thrilling game of all, the Game of Crimes. 